OTB AM. I was really triggered. We don't want Johnny Sexton having any part of any Netflix curse ahead of the World Cup. OTB AM. Live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTB AM's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance is just lacked that intensity. Boom. Right. Uh, the Gillette Labs performance rankings uh, every Sunday evening we put a little box up on Instagram on our Instagram stories and you can tell us who you think should be in the uh, red in the amber we struggle with the amber <laughs> and sometimes we struggle with the green uh, not this week though no struggles this week no it's not uh, you know what some of the busy weeks it can be a struggle because you don't know what to put in or what to leave out but uh, I think we'll start with uh, in the red Fabinho um, one of the worst cameos of all time probably the worst cameo since Donald Trump in Home Alone 2 lost in New York um, he was horrific when he came on and didn't add anything to Liverpool's midfield and then there was the tackle which uh, clearly got the YouTube commenters already talking this morning lads um, I mean if VAR have one job they did it wrong yesterday because if there's ever an example of when you need to upgrade a yellow card to a red card uh, in Stockley Park that was it it was a horrendous tackle Um I know Nathan, you were there, and, and you, we saw the images from your from your very phone of of uh, Per Evan limping out of the stadium on his crutches. Really hope it's not a bad injury. I suppose we'll have to wait and see uh, uh, based off a scan today. Klopp's comments, and I have them in front of me here, were were quite interesting. He said, first of all, he didn't see the tackle, but then he expanded on the tackle. He said, "Hear this? There was no dynamic on it. We can hear this. Oh, sorry, we have the clip. Yeah. Let's listen." The Fabinho challenge was no dynamic, and but. I didn't just saw it once, not the second time. I think with dynamic, we can talk about the red card was more lying, and then he hit him. Not cool. Um, Ibu, I didn't, I didn't really see in the moment. And 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 Robbo, uh, it's um, late in the in the game. It's nothing to do with falling apart. It's frustration. It's, it's not right to do it. Um, well, against us, teams get constantly yellow cards usually, and nobody asks the opposition that quite these questions. But for us, we are not used to that. We don't do, we don't concede usually yellow cards. Um, but imagine the boys wouldn't react, react at all. I don't like it. I don't want to think that's the right way to do it, and I have to look at twice or maybe three times to, to judge it a little bit better. Um, but in the end, I'm pretty sure um, your assessment or what you made of it is not right. But can be still your opinion, of course. Uh, I, so the, we didn't hear the question there, but presumably the question was, oh, you should have got a red card, right? And you'd imagine so. Yeah, Klopp is always going to defend his players. He always defends his players, win or lose after every game. But listen, there's no question, it had to be a red card. When you saw it first, it looked a little bit clumsy. But the second you look on the replay, and you can see why the referee maybe thought initially a yellow card, he's sort of clipped the back of his heel. Once you look at a replay, it's clear that this is an incredibly dangerous tackle. The raking down, the pushing through at the back of the ankle and the damage that it has done to Evan Ferguson. It has to be, has to be a red card. And again, it's one of those decisions that makes you wonder what is the point of VAR? I think Andy Robertson was slightly different. It was, I'm not quite sure it was a red, but like Fabinho was the most nailed on red. And Fabinho knew. His reaction, he was like, oh, what have I done? I think Fabinho went in and it was, it was probably clumsy at first and then he knew that the way he'd caught him players know instantly in a split second the damage that they can do and the reaction and the awkwardness of Evan Ferguson's fall and yeah it was a really really bad end to what up to that had been a a very entertaining game and you know I left the Amex yesterday 
feeling pretty down because you know watching Evan Ferguson go out on crutches like today is a big day in Evan Ferguson's career what that scan shows up and how long he's going to be out for I know there was a feeling leaving the stadium last night that they were quite hopeful that it, it wouldn't be an ACL and that it would be a lesser thing than that he seemed to have a knee brace on um you know we're eight weeks today away from France it's hard to see how he gets himself back in time and plays enough football ahead of that. But hopefully it's just some some bruising and it was the instant reaction and the pain of the tackle. But it, it certainly seemed to be more a knee problem for Ferguson than it was an ankle issue with the way and the awkwardness of the fall. And, you know, after playing so well again yesterday, mm. I probably should have scored. But his overall all-round game, you kind of have to remind yourself, this is an 18-year-old kid out there. He looks and he fits in so well against, you know, Liverpool played a lot better yesterday than they did two weeks ago. You know, he's alongside Danny Welbeck up front, England International Premier League winner. And there was no question when they were changing the striker, it was going to be Welbeck who would come off first because Ferguson had had a gr- much, much greater impact. And even the 10 minutes before he came off where Liverpool were starting to get a little bit of control and it was quite scrappy in midfield. They brought on Henderson, they brought on Fabinho. They, he just sat back into the midfield desperate to get on the ball all the time, little touches, getting himself involved. Not the performance I was expecting from. I sort of thought, you know, against Liverpool, they might try and sit him off the shoulder of the defender, try and stretch the defence. This was all about playing in a deeper role, getting himself involved in the game, being a more creative force. And then he has the two chances. The first half one, he, he really has to score. Yeah, he needs to hit the first time. The second one, uh, he couldn't have done much more. But to go from that and watching that performance for 18 minutes and thinking, like Stephen Kenny, uh, as far as I know, was there yesterday. He has to be looking at that, going, this is exactly what we'll come up with against France. In fact, he might come up against one of these centre-halves in Canada against France. He's not going to be able to play off the shoulder. I'll need him dropping deep to get involved against France. And he was able to do it so brilliantly. And to finish then on crutches and, you know, a potentially very serious knee injury. Uh, it's, yeah, it's... It's just devastating, I think, for him and for for all Irish fans. I had assumed it was. Uh, I hadn't even thought about the knee thing. This is kind of um, very depressing. I'd, I I had actually not considered that that was going to be an issue this morning. That it was more uh, soreness, Achilles, and that can obviously bring its own. You know, if, if the Achilles is ruptured or whatever, that's a a fairly horrific injury. Um, but I, you know, uh, I hadn't thought about the possibility even of an ACL. So that's that is in the potential circle of outcome here it's, it's certainly it looked like a knee injury and the talk afterwards was that it was a knee injury now obviously they only when i saw him walking past was probably half an hour after the game so i'd imagine there was quite a bit of swelling there and i have to wait for that to go down before they can have the scan i'm sure they'll have it as quickly as possible maybe it won't even be today but that was the concern that it would be a serious knee injury far more than i was the same as you obviously watching initially you look at the ankle and think you know, maybe the ankle was quite sore with the way it went down. You know, maybe it was ligaments in the ankle. There is that piece where he walks around the pitch and he's getting the ovation. And unfortunately, like quite often, it is a ligament injury when you see that the player is able to walk initially. Uh, and it's later that they find uh, the full effects of it. But look, it's it's too early to say that it's anything quite that serious. And look, anything less than that, he could be back in a month, four or five weeks. Um, or maybe it's just severe bruising and he's going to be just fine and he'll be back and you know Roberto De Zerbi was saying in the press conference yesterday that even he's been very surprised as to how good Evan Ferguson has been since he threw him in for the half an hour against Arsenal mm. sort of forgets himself that he's 18 years of age uh, so yeah it's 
it's it's an important couple of days for Evan Ferguson having got his way into the team. You know, he was been asked about uh, Undev, who was a sub yesterday who came on from. Would he go out and loan? Maybe he doesn't go on loan if Ferguson's going to be out for a little while. So these are the little sliding doors moments that can happen in your career. But look, whatever happens, he'll he'll come back and he's going to go on and you expect to become a big player for club and for country. Yeah. Uh, the, there was a huge, huge this piece, was his time. Huge piece on Saturday in the, the London Times about Ferguson and the making of him and his um, time as a kid in Dublin growing up and all that sort of stuff. And still that line about, oh, you know, hey, he can still play for England. I, I presume that's just... Uh, Headline grabber, try and make everybody interested. Why am I reading about this eighteen-year-old? Oh, because he might play for England. Is that? <laughs> I think it, it, it definitely felt that way. I was um, desperately trying to find the article just in case there was a bit of depth to that. But I think it was just pointing out that he is eligible uh, to play for England. There's never been any suggestion at all uh, that he would. We've been heard once before. On so we're all just cl- as a we have, but listen. Yeah. Uh, Evan Ferguson was was born in Ireland. Uh, he's lived up in Bettystown all his life. So I. I I suspect that was to uh, make it more interesting for the English audience. It, the, the fact that he, he is a much fouled player, like you even saw Kanade having a, having a piece out of him as well mm. and got a yellow card. Like, it's just the, the nature of the position, I guess, holding the ball up and you're going to get chopped from behind quite often. And he, and he holds the ball up so well. And as you say, Nathan, he had a number of flicks in the match where you're like, this guy doesn't lose the ball too often. So we're saying he's more Harry Kane than Lewandowski. Is that what we're... Well, uh, in the article yesterday, it said he modelled his game more than Lewandowski. I think against Liverpool, they were looking for something else from him. But mm. like you would hope he can do both. But you're right, like, Kanad is a strong man. Yeah. And he held him off twice. And that's why he was fouled, because when he got the ball, his first thing was to take the contact from the player to make himself as big as he possibly could. Mm. And they have a little bit of a nibble at him. And he'd turn his back, he'd shield the ball brilliantly. So if he can drop back, because again, I think we've got to be honest here for international football, you're going to probably need that for an Ireland yeah. <laughs> number nine in the in the current system. So well, it means yeah, you can he, play him with any any of the other Irish strikers who we have. He can play with Adamida. He can play with Troy Parrott. He can play with Michael Obafemi. Like you can you can now have our three at the back and two up front, and he can drop deep or he can play play up top, and that's a brilliant flexibility built in, as you say, from an 18 year old for the rest of his career. Let's fingers crossed. Uh, that this is the worst injury he ever gets. Absolutely. Uh, now, I think, again, for those games where you're playing, uh, can we call anyone lesser opposition in international football right now, <laughs> where you want to play him and an Obafemi up front together? I think he has that ability. But he still has a bit to go. In a way, he almost seemed reticent to get in the area at times, and Deserby touched on that as well, that his, his movement off the ball just needs a little bit of fine-tuning as to... When he gets in the area, make sure he's desperate to get in there and there's a bit more movement. Like, look, I'm watching him and you're kind of thinking, what would early Haaland do in this situation? And those little darting runs that Haaland makes all the time, he's, he's not quite doing that. But twice in the six-yard box, the edge of it, he found himself in the perfect position at exactly the right time. So he clearly has that little bit of know-how to find himself there. And it's such a shame he didn't get that goal uh, early on yesterday to give Brighton the lead. But everything, like he... Again, he's eight, he's and he's he's not long gone eighteen. He's eighteen years of age, yeah. and he's playing against the Liverpool team. Who say we're, we're certainly a lot better than they were the last time they played Brighton a couple of weeks ago. And in no way would you have said this guy is a kid. Like he still only played one full ninety minutes of, of senior football, and that was in the Carabao Cup against Middlesbrough. He hasn't played another ninety minutes of senior football yet. So uh, let's hope that comes very very soon. But but that's the inexperience of the player and. 
that wasn't the player that we saw out on the pitch yesterday. Uh, Brandon Pang says, sums up Fabinho this season. Uh, Brian says, Jordan Henderson's still playing for a team who wants to win things. He's been finished for nearly two years, yet Klopp is still giving him a minute. Liverpool's performance gets worse every time he's on. Jack Nolte asks, do you think Klopp could be sacked this season? Headline in the back of all the English papers uh, are picking up on Andy Robertson's comments. Bad to worse. A new low in the FA Cup. I mean, look, it's the FA Cup. It's obviously, uh, it was an opportunity for them to win a trophy. Mm. They're clearly not going to win the Premier League this season. They're not out of the other ones. Very tricky draw in the Champions League. So maybe maybe they were desperate for a victory in that game. Uh, surely there's no there's not a world that exists in all of the many simulations in which Jurgen Klopp gets fired. No. No, there's no world in which that happens this season. They've lost nine games now in all competitions. And while there were moments yesterday where they looked... I wouldn't even say anywhere back to their best, where they looked like they had a bit of energy about them, at least. Like, this was a Brighton team missing Pesedo in the middle of midfield. You know, just so Leandro Trossard. And Brighton were the better team still for large, large parts of that game. They looked completely lost. Like, the Liverpool that we saw towards the back end of the last season that were winning the couple of cups that were, remember, they were, what, with 20 minutes to go in the Premier League season, they thought one more goal probably wins them the league. Like, that relentless intensity that you just took for granted that was in every game. It's not there. It's not there. And it, Fabinho is the prime example of that. And look, I think I brought it up right at the start of the season, that game against Crystal Palace where he misses the tackle. He never missed the tackle. Never missed the tackle for three or four years. And now he's missing tackles and he's loose and he's late. And you're right, Shane, he came on yesterday and he didn't, you're expecting him and Henderson to make the impact. I thought yeah. Henderson did all right when he came on, but like the midfield, and he's taken off a teenager. <laughs> for, and Fabinho's lessening the quality in, in the middle of the pitch. So they need to do something rapidly. It doesn't look as though they're going to do anything over the next 48 hours in terms of signing a midfielder. And it'll be the second time in three seasons that their season probably just ends up petering out unless they can just get a little bit of momentum somehow and get into the fight for the top four but there's nothing we've seen since the return from the World Cup that they're just going to spark into life it's there's not there there's no fear factor either Like I was even watching uh, I guess we were all on Evan Ferguson watch yesterday in some ways you obviously got it up close and personal Nathan but even from the tip off at the very start of the match he's standing on the, the, the halfway line uh, standing with Mo Salah I think and they're having a bit of a conversation and like you know, Salah had this aura a couple of years ago, and now all of a sudden, even when the, when the game kicks off, Ferguson straight away stops the conversation with Salah, runs straight away to, to kind of charge down the Liverpool defence. Uh, like uh, we have Fabinho and Liverpool in the red, but realistically, it should be the VAR in the red and the officials because, uh, as you said, Jer, what's the point? What's the point, like in having VAR if, if, if the likes of that foul isn't upgraded? All right, we will come back to this with Mark Lawrence in, in uh, not too long. Uh, quick update in the golf: McElroy still a stroke clear. Uh, Reed and Herbert now fourteen under. McElroy's on fifteen under. Reed has finished his front nine. Herbert's through eleven. McElroy is just on the ninth, and could do with an old birdie. Just to remind everybody that um, he's not going to be purely playing defence today. Uh, let's move on. Patrick yep. Reed is also in the red. Well, he is indeed. Well, uh, he usually is in the red, but uh, we're going to stick with the golf because. Uh, yeah, as we were watching yesterday... In we're the uh, just going to make a public service announcement here. We're going to be very careful not to get sued by Patrick Reid because he's uh, obviously... Litigious you know, individual. Yeah, and uh, as is his right. Yeah. If, you, if someone's done wrong by you, you've got to get out there and defend your name. Mm. All that, you know, all that honour that you've built up over the years, you've got to make sure that no one is trying to take away anything from that. Just uh, That's fair. Yeah, we we accept crappy quiz questions to uh, off the ball Marconi house, uh, but we we prefer not to get subpoenas to the door uh, if we can avoid it. So uh, Patrick Reed, yeah, it was T gate, but then it became Tree gate. 
yesterday. Uh, so, I mean, th- this is a boy who cried wolf uh, scenario because a lot of people were saying this incident, maybe we should give Patrick Reed the benef- benefit of the doubt. For anyone who missed it, DP World Tour issues a statement to clarify a rules scenario involving Reed, uh, courting controversy again at the uh, tournament in front of us, the Dubai Desert Classic. So he takes a penalty drop on the 17th hole of his third round yesterday after identifying his ball by specific markings when lodged up a tree. Now he says without that identification, Reed would have had to return to the tee to play his third shot. Social media, of course, uh, gets active when this footage emerges, which appears to show Reed's ball landing in a different tree to the one he took the drop beside. Uh, Reed saying after the round, he was 100% sure he had seen his own ball with the assistance of binoculars. He says, I would have gone back to the tee if I was not 100%, uh, escaping with a bogey 5 en route to his 69, which left him in contention, of course, and uh, we see today the benefit of that um, lack of a drop shot on that particular hole. Uh, the tour didn't deny Reed could have dropped from the wrong tee, but seemed to assume responsibility, saying two on-course referees and several marshals identified with Reed his ball that had become lodged. It, who knows what's going on here, whether Reed's telling the truth or not, but... What happened was, um, takes a drop from beside the tree, social media burst into life, and uh, the rest is history. Patrick Reed is the bad boy again. You're watching this now? Yeah, his reputation doesn't help him in this scenario, and I've watched about eight different replays of various commentators breaking it down in slow motion to show that of the three, three trees that are there, uh, Patrick Reed's ball clearly goes in the first one. Yet he found his ball in the third one, which is about seven, eight yards uh, to the right of the ball that he says he saw his ball in. Now, there is the possibility that it hit that first tree and popped up into the second tree and that he's correct. They call there, this the magic bullet theory. Defying the results. So. There is Back also and to the left. Back and to the left. When you look at that tree, so these are palm trees, and when they zoomed in the TV camera, there's six, seven balls up there, even then that little shot alone. So this is a popular spot where your ball ends up getting stuck, and he plays a very popular brand of golf ball. Now, his markings are also very similar to what a lot of people would have. Now, he has a little red mark that maybe not every golfer, but he has that straight line as well, and he says it's That's an arrow in the red morning, on the ball. Yeah. So... He claims that he saw the ball. Now, he also claims, I think, that it felt like the referee made the decision. So he described to the referee what the ball was like. says, I can see it. And the referee goes, well, that's what that sort of ball is. Uh, and it, listen, I think the referee's in a no-win situation. If he says, this is what my ball looks like, and there's one of them up there, well, then, fair enough. Uh, but, as I say, there were a lot of golf balls in that tree. A lot. I do buy the distinctive markings thing, though. Like, uh, you know... It, Everybody has a say. They don't really. Everybody has a slightly distinctive. It's not quite a snowflake or a fingerprint, but there's definitely like you. So not everybody will have seen this, but you go to the range and the the caddies are constantly like marking the ball to make sure that because this is going to happen all the time. The landing zone for all the world's best golfers is you know very small area. It's not that, and as you say, they all play roughly the same brand of ball. So they are pretty good about trying to make sure that no one's going to end up playing their ball because that's a catastrophic mistake that could cost them in a major tournament. So I do buy the bit where he says, yeah, now that's my ball because it's got this, this, this and this and can you see this, this, this and this? And then, so there's a little bit of wiggle room here for me to think that for once Patrick Reed is not the villain we're making him out to be. Oh, you're going soft. You're going soft no, here. The problem, the problem for Patrick Reed is that there's no wiggle room with Patrick Reed because he has such a reputation. Uh, and you're right. 
did anybody come over to him and say, actually, that ball didn't hit that tree? Like, we're looking several hours afterwards, people pointing out it wasn't in that tree. And if he assumes his ball's in that tree and there's markings that are either the same or very similar, well, then maybe he's perfectly entitled. Uh, obviously, the video footage shows that it's highly unlikely. Why is the video footage emerging hours later as opposed to in real time? Like, it's not as if they don't have a gazillion people working and the prize money is so rich and the, the tour company, they've invested so much money in the TV. I don't really understand why there isn't... Uh, well, I think uh, even on the... And look, the footage, maybe the referee and, uh, you know, has happened from time to time where, you know, radar will be down on the edge of the fairway and somebody in the... They'll be looking for a ball and somebody will shout at them and go, actually, it looks like it's about 10 yards further left mm. uh, on the TV footage. Uh, it, it, like, the TV footage, I, I, is it conclusive? Like, is it beyond the realms of possibility that the ball hits the tree and pops out and pops up? Like, it's traveling at a rate of knots and it goes out of picture. Perhaps, perhaps. It's not. You're right. Lee Harvey also acted alone. It's it's totally true. Uh, Nathan? But this is, this is, and look, Patrick Reed, I'm sure, uh, will address this afterwards. But when you have that reputation, it means everybody is ready for the pylon. But look at it. If you're uh, wondering what to do for the next couple of hours, you've got Rory McIlroy one shot clear mm. of Patrick Reed, yeah. which even without all of this, what a subtext that was with European Tour, PGA Tour against Live Golf. Uh, you know, this this is good Monday morning viewing. Without tee gates, which started the week where uh, Patrick Reed threw a tee at Rory McIlroy like a petulant, petulant child and then accused McIlroy of being a petulant <laughs> child. Uh, you know, notwithstanding the fact that Patrick Reed did destroy him in the Masters when they were up against each other a couple of years ago. So, like, McIlroy needs to see this out just for his own, you know, because they will come up against each other again in the major down the stretch. They will. Rory's never won on the first start of the year. Listen, I don't think what happens here will affect Reed McIlroy. I think Rory's going to contend a lot of majors. I don't think Patrick Reed has that level of consistency. But there'll you be a bit of fire in Rory's belly. Never give a sucker an even break. You gotta, you gotta there'll be see a lot off. of fire in Rory's belly today. Mm. Three no, he hasn't showed it. He's playing just very steady golf yeah. at the moment. Par, All, right. Par, par, par. All, All right. right. Nathan, good stuff. Thanks very much. Uh, the footage that uh, Nathan had, of course, is available to view from the Amex yesterday. Unfortunately, it is of Evan Ferguson on a crutch and uh, with what appears to be a knee brace as well. You can check it out on his Twitter and on our Twitter at Off the Ball. Uh, Roy McElroy is a stroke clear. We'll keep you up to date on how that's going. That's the red, the amber. The amber, as you say, it's a difficult one to pick, but um, for anyone in the comments, uh, let us know if you saw this game as well, because I was watching an FA Cup classic yesterday evening. Is the FA Cup back? Oh, it is. It is completely back. Is that what we're saying? That, like, Man United and Alex Ferguson screwed the FA Cup by, you know, pulling out of it 25 years ago. Long time ago, yeah. Everybody kind of took that as their signal for, this doesn't really matter. But it seems like everybody's picking their best teams, largely. Or very strong teams, anyway. Yeah. And the games have been pretty good. The shocks have been off the charts. Is it back? People, teams want trophies, Jer. Teams want trophies, uh, as it turns out. Eric Ten Hag being one of them, because uh, United's team... I heard one of the Reading players speaking after the match at the, at the weekend, where he was saying, we were waiting to see the United team that was dropped for the, for the Old Trafford match, and we were thinking, oh, he's going to play out a weakened team. He did not. He did not. No, he did not. They were absolutely buzzing, to be fair, because they wanted to play the United best players. Um, but I think it is back. I think there's a bit of excitement about it. We almost had magic at the Wrexham Racecourse ground. It just didn't happen, Joe. Birdie time. Roy McIlroy uh, goes to 16 under. 16 under? Yeah. Birdie. I mean, eight birdies yesterday, so... His first of the uh, the uh, front line on the ninth. Good time to get it. Yeah. Two-shot lead. Um, yeah, the, the, the game yesterday, Wrexham 3, Sheffield United 3. For anyone watching this, it was a Hollywood Cup tie because you had Ryan Reynolds in the audience, in the crowd, uh, 
Kamrick obviously panning to him constantly and consistently. Rob McElhenney was was in Philadelphia, of course, for his Eagles team. He apparently was watching the game uh, at the tailgate of the Eagles match. There's a tweet from Ryan Reynolds we have there. Uh, when at Rob McElhenney and I got into this, it all felt so impossible. But impossible is Wrexham's favourite colour. That was one of the most exciting things I've ever seen. Thank you each and every Wrexham supporter who came out and aimed your heart at that pitch tonight. There was that uh, strange, uh, funny uh, coming together of Ryan Reynolds, Alan Shearer and Gary Lineker before the game on television where they did an interview. And um, I mean, Reynolds was very good. He was kind of talking about the whole dream, uh, saying in 10 years' time the plan is and always has been the Premier League. Uh, still thinks it's possible. Uh, and fair play to them. They're a National League at the moment. They're, they're fairly certain, you'd imagine, at the moment of, of promotion for the National League. They're flying. Their home form is brilliant. Uh, they haven't lost a game at home all season, I don't think. Um, so they're playing really, really good football. Tom O'Connor as well, I should mention him. He's a, he's a lad from the Wexford Kilkenny border. Uh, loved his hurling growing up. Uh, he's 23 or so at this stage. He's Irish under 19 and 21 international. A former teammate at underage level with Ireland of John Egan's. Right. And uh, Egan, of course, scoring the 95th minute equaliser. Tom O'Connor scored the second goal for Wrexham to put them 2 1 ahead. Uh, they went 3 2 ahead late on. And uh, you're thinking, this is it. And then John Egan, from a corner, bundles in a goal to, to snatch victory from, uh, from Per Wrexham. And it's a, it's a replay at Bramall Lane to come. So, not, not saying they can't get over the line in the replay, but last night felt. Especially with 20 minutes left, Sheffield United went down to 10 men. It just felt like the time was yeah. there for them. Although, just think of the uh, the content. Just think of the content. That's well, it's all. content, yeah. 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 I mean, they, they, I think they announced on Friday they'd sold 24,000 replica shirts so far this season, Wrexham. So, I mean, Netflix works. Nearly as much as Bose. Nearly as much as Bose and the, the uh, Bob, uh, what is it? Bob Marley. Bob Marley. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say Bob Dylan, but Bob Dylan's not on the book. He's next. Shirts. He's next. But uh, it was just one of those proper old school cup ties. Even the red card, Jer, was a little circle red card. All oh, right. Wow. So, I mean, this felt, this felt old That's school. That's just for the cameras. I, I hope uh, so. Okay, so, as we say, Amber is tricky because you could easily put that in the green. Yeah, uh, for they just the, didn't get over that being back. But, um, you know, they've got another bite of the cherry and we'll see if they can uh, make these standings again I've no doubt they will over the years right in green yes in green a lot of people already given out no mention of Ross Common where are the Rossies you didn't even mention them in the rankings last week um, <laughs> rubbing a bit of salt in the wound says Darren McAlinden what about Rory Began and his disaster kick out to Tiernan Kelly mm. oh, I've lost the Ross Common David Clark again Ross Common did not even get a mention in the rankings last week brushed over and probably had performance of the weekend look we're getting to them They're, they obviously deserve to be in the green don't they I for one I'm delighted that the league was back uh Made my way to Castle Blaney on Saturday night under the lights at Mary's Park for Monaghan versus Armagh. Result didn't go Monaghan's way, as one of the commenters points out. Just the, uh, before half time, Rory Began kicks a kick out straight to Armagh's full forward, Tierney Kelly, uh, and kicks it towards goal. Rory nearly stops it on the line, but it bundles in. Just one of those. One of those days for Monaghan. You were, you were being kind there. <laughs> I think if yeah. Rory had that whole thing over again. Uh, well, he should have stopped it on the line as he well. He should have stopped it on the line. Yeah, yeah. as well as the bad kickout. So as he knows. Yeah. One, one of those moments that just wasn't great for, for Rory or Monaghan. Uh, Jack McCarran pulled up injured within the first 50 seconds for Monaghan as well. I mean, Conor McManus and the two Hughes brothers, Kieran and Darren, weren't involved, so they're to come back in. It's carry away for Monaghan next weekend. Uh, and all of a sudden, you're looking at that fixture going, OK, probably need to win. A bitter, a bitter carry team as well, who feel like they were robbed up in Donegal. Oh, we're watching this game. Although, um, although I think um, you know, uh, did they not have a point that was a bit dodgy at one stage as well? Jack O'Connor was not very happy with it. Well, yeah, O'Connor wasn't happy with the Donegal point in the first half. From was a Caelan McGonagall, a uh, young lad on his debut, man of the match, scored three points for Donegal. He was brilliant, uh, but his second point of those appeared to go wide. Certainly from the angle of the stands and the um, the management teams, this ball appears to go wide. It was waved over straight away. 
Um, but then the line, the sideline official queried it, queried it with the referee. The referee goes over to the umpires and they still decide, no, it was a point. Jack O'Connor was not happy. Well, whatever, whatever about that. And that's kind of stealing away from uh, Dun- Donegal. Well, yeah. For the last three minutes, they've, they basically have possession and you're thinking, oh, this is going to be like the... Is it was it the game against Armagh where uh, Derry had the ball a couple of years ago and couldn't even get a shot off? Mm. But they were just being very, 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 very patient, waiting for McBrady to get in the right spot to just sling it over his left foot. Yeah, I mean it's it, a brilliant it, end to the game. It is one of those moments where you have to wind down the clock because if you if you score the winner so early, yeah, yeah, if it's like American football, yeah, exactly. they were they were really smart with it. And still, Kerry had a couple of chances uh, down the far end. So, you know, I, my sympathy for Kerry in this situation is, is very limited. And obviously, Kerry have a gazillion players still to come back. Uh, we should mention that Derry picked their Glen players. Yeah, mad. Should, we should mention that. Ethan Doherty and uh, Connor Glass, like, both playing. Uh, what, are you, what are you doing, Rory? Come on. Come on, just give, <laughs> give the lads a week off. Yeah. Didn't but, even talk about a week off, says Rory, afterwards. So, it's a, it's a unique approach that they have. And look, um, I guess... Division 2 in the league is actually far more important than the Ulster Championship this year because if they finish in the top half of that they're guaranteed to be playing in Sam Maguire and they've already got their Ulster glory so we'll see what happens. Um, it speaks volumes to what's happening in Derry though because they want to play. You know, There's a, there's obviously a mentality within that squad at the moment that we don't want to miss out here. We want to be playing straight away from the outset of the league. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's an interesting one. Yeah. Uh, we should give the Roscommon fans what they want. Well, sorry, Kerry, Kerry played Paul Murphy as well. He was just a week earlier with yeah. Brad Moore so it's not like they were the only ones at it. No Cliffords though and uh, no Cliffords next week either. I think Jack O'Connor saying for the Monaghan game next week everyone who was missing yesterday will be missing once Are more. Are they not all banned anyway? Oh, no? <laughs> yeah, this is the thing. Uh, a handy red card at the end of the season you're like oh, I'll have a couple of weeks off yeah exactly and the number of injuries in that squad as well the league being back though the the Mayo game the Mayo Galway game yeah like yeah. brilliant goal of the season is already wrapped up oh, I mean James Carr just does he know how to score a normal goal I don't think he does oh shit ooh Patrick Reid almost had an albatross it looks like that's not what you want to see uh, is, that a, is that a long club it is a long club yeah. It's a strut for me, you know. And uh, Poulter sitting there in second as well, ready to pounce. But yeah, t- still a two-shot lead. Uh, not for long, because he's definitely on a par five, and he, I think he nearly had. Uh, straight uh, and true. Yeah, anyway, look. Oof, that was one of those ones where you're watching the Masters on the, on the Saturday oh, and the Sunday, and, and somebody hits that like on the 10th, you're like, okay, well, sure, we can all go to bed now, because if, you, if you're doing that, it's, it's game over. Yeah. So I think he's going to have like a tap-in eagle putt to go level with McElroy. Anyway, mm. go on. Um, yeah, the Mayo Galway game, brilliant. Draw, probably the fair result. Paul Joyce, speaking to Ashton afterwards, wasn't happy with the added time. Certainly felt like they went a minute above what they should have. Um, I mean, judging by the clock on screen, it didn't appear that they, they went too far over. Uh, I, I don't know. It was a brilliant score by Ryan O'Donoghue to, to level the game. Yeah, it was. Yeah, when, you know, earned a point for that. And a little bit of sportsmanship as well. I think it was Sean Kelly marking him who was smirking at him as he walked back over to him and kind of gave him a pat to say, great, great score. Yeah, um, yeah. I, you know, I wonder if there a previous conversation between the two, maybe, maybe not. Um, and he'd missed one yeah. a few minutes before that too. So uh, it, it's back. We've got Moyles on a little bit later on this. Uh, Colm has joined us. Morning, lads. Colm. Bad weekend for Cork. Bad weekend for Cork, yeah. Well, yeah, it's a mixed weekend. Because they were sure the not, though. 14 points of the 19. He'd yeah. be delighted. Highest yeah, scoring yeah, defeated team. All of our three teams lost. Every fifty-two minutes, Cork, Monaghan, and Clare. Spotted it went bad. Yeah, true. Only the first game. We had a bad weekend. Lads. Yeah, um, what a weekend of sport! I think I watched eight different games on Saturday yeah. on the TV. <laughs> different sports. 
like now that you're married you do that mm. well I had to have to myself so it was 8am to 10pm of watching it was 14 hours what were you watching for May the women's final the women's final in the Australian Open which by the way was a cracker Irina Sabalenka won her first uh, Grand Slam title in her first Grand Slam final beat Alina Rabakina who's the reigning Wimbledon champion this is some match lads two and a half hours over three sets uh, Rebecca won the first set and then had two break points in the first game of the second set so could have wrapped this up pretty comfortably mm. Sabalenka had a 3-0 winning record heading into that match against Rebecca uh, but then she went from there she hit 51 winners Sabalenka in this final that's outrageous like anything from 20 to 25 is really impressive so 51 is amazing Right. and Rebecca hit 31 and they were just going for it like they're very similar players we'll get a bit more on this later with Jenny Claffey who'll break it down a little bit more but they're basically power players who just go for everything with flat down strokes so Sabalenka hit 28 unforced errors Rebecca hit 25 so they were just hit or miss the whole time they were just going for it mm-hmm. and it ended up being that like it was this power fest where the longest rally was 13 strokes which is really short so the average rally was 3.28 strokes which is really low for that level of the game but the quality of hitting was amazing just winner after winner after winner after winner and Sabalenka it's an incredible redemption story last year she hit something like 450 double faults uh, completely got the yips on her serves to the extent that she started serving underarm. Her coach, her long-time coach, um, offered to resign. She said, no, no, we'll sort this, we'll sort this, don't worry. And she basically spent uh, 2022 um, taking responsibility for herself in her own words. So she dropped her sports psychologist. She said she was outsourcing all of her problems too much and she needed to resolve them herself. <laughs> and she kept the coach. And now we got to the point where she went from 450 double faults last year, completely disastrous server, to... Um, being a kind of a serving sensation, so he hit 17 aces in this final. Right. We're back and hit nine. So it's a, it's a brilliant story. And then, of course, the other side of it too is she was playing under a neutral flag. She's from Belarus. So uh, Sabalenka wasn't allowed to play at Wimbledon last year. And as it stands, she won't be allowed to play at Wimbledon this year because they still have that rule in place where no Russians or Belarusian players are allowed to play. Whereas in the other three Grand Slams, they can play, but under a neutral flag, like at this one. And afterwards, Sabalenka was quite open about the fact that she's proudly from Belarus. So it's a victory for her and for them. She's quite close to the uh, country's president as well. But, uh, you know, thankfully for Sabalenka, she's um, fulfilling her promise herself and Maria Zachary are two of the most talented players in tour, but just couldn't get it over the line. Uh, as I say, this is Sabalenka's first Grand Slam final. She had been to three semifinals before and basically blew it. Mm-hmm. One was against Barbara Kachikova in the French Open 2021, where she had a match point in the semifinal. And Kachikova won that. And another was against Emirata Kanu. I oh, sorry, Leila Fernandes in the US Open the year the Emirata kind of won it. So, finally, Sabalenka made it. Okay. And then the other one, obviously, uh, Novak wins. Novak, you'll be delighted. Ten finals, ten wins at the Australian Open. And overall, he's now level with Rafael Nadal. 22 Grand Slam titles apiece. I think to we need some way of, um, you know, deciding the GOAT. If you're going to... Because keep, people keep coming mm-hmm. at us in the comments going, oh, the GOAT. You need to um, take out the tournament that they win the most and then see who's left. Hmm. That'd be it. So you That's take out fair, you though. take out the twelve. Well, Paris still won the tournament. Or you take out these ten. Would Federer have the most even spread? No, uh, Federer only won Roland Garros once, and Nadal uh, was knocked out by the guy he beat in the final, Robin Soderling. Whereas Djokovic has won the French Open twice, and one of those times is beating Nadal en route in twenty twenty one, which is one of the greatest matches of this century, and he's won the U.S. Open three times. Nadal has won the Australian Open only twice last year was the second and that was without Djokovic playing so there's an asterisk there and he's only won Wimbledon twice Nadal and the last time was 2010 so I would say Djokovic is the best spread and like Djokovic like he's won the Australian Open 10 times fair enough 
but uh, like Nadal is 14 at the French Open and I think Federer is 8 at Wimbledon um, I would say overall Djokovic here's an interesting stat though Djokovic has yet to win a Grand Slam without dropping a set whereas Nadal and Federer did that several times Mm. So Djokovic dropped the set in the second round this year. But though, look, the, the whole emotion about this, probably the biggest takeaway, look, the match itself against Stefano Tsitsipas wasn't uh, great, didn't live up, live up to expectations. Mm. At second time they've met in the Grand Slam final, Tsitsipas went two sets up in the French Open final in 2021. But this time Djokovic won a straight set. Tsitsipas had a set point second set in a 15-shot rally where he was just waiting for Djokovic to miss until Djokovic hit a winner. And that was really the end of the match as a contest, even though it was two tie breaks after that. Afterwards, uh, Djokovic collapsed in his box. Did in he? Tears. Yeah. In, oh, in tears. Yeah. Right. Okay. Because uh, oh, the injury, I'm injured. I'm so injured. Yeah, no, you're not. I'm so you just uh, you're not. It's not credible. It's not credible. My point, sorry, is if on. you take out the one that they won the most, right? Mm-hmm. Then what are you left with in terms of numbers? That would be interesting. Mm. What have we got? We got uh, seven and three is ten, and two is twelve for Djokovic. If you take his ten out uh, for Nadal. If you take his fourteen out, he's got eight. Mm-hmm. And if you add up Federer's, he's also got twelve. Yeah, but he, Federer's on twenty overall. Yeah, no, the but lads are twenty. Take, yeah. take out the one they won the most. Take um, out their favorite surface. Yeah, what are they left? You'd have Djokovic and Federer. You see, see, see the gymnastics. I'm. Uh, I think uh, I, still, I still think it's Djokovic. If you're going to say that, they, they all have lovely well, trophies. Well, because Federer only won the French Open same, once, and it's the same number. Yeah, but it's an even spread. You're talking about the spread, like no, the, the lowest number that Djokovic just won at any slam is the French Open, and that was twice, and he beat the greatest player on clay ever to win that. Okay. <laughs> you know? Um, Why don't you just marry Novak Djokovic? <laughs> well, I'm, uh, you know, you, I think he should be defended. I really, I, I think Djokovic is great to watch, and he's brilliant. What's, yeah. in, his, what's in his bottles? That's well, all. We, that's, he should uh, tell us a bit more about his uh, incredible fitness I don't know regime. where you're going with that, but I think... Um, Look, he wasn't going to play like this tournament. He had a hamstring injury. He didn't and he, have, and did he he have said, a hamstring injury? And, well, he seemed grand. He seemed to get his better. His coach, Goran Ivanisovic, afterwards said 97% of the players would have pulled out with the results from the MRI oh, scan, but Djokovic oh, didn't. And Djokovic's annoyance afterwards yesterday was saying that a lot of people doubted the legitimacy of the injury. It's a flu game. It's, you know, it's a, lot of, it's a lot of people did. Yeah. So we had that. He had coming back after last year being deported. And... He basically has uh, where he what falsified he feels medical records is a perception against him and that, should have been banned uh, from the tour. He ain't great, but he did it. Yeah, he did I'm, it. I'm and our level and look, the French Open is going to be class because you have Nadal, Djokovic, twenty-two apiece, and then Carlos Alcaraz. If he's fit, he was world number one heading into this tournament. Now Djokovic is again. Yeah, show up, Alcaraz. Come on, let's be having you. Sensational. Should mention before we before we wrap on the performance rankings, lads. Uh, so and look, people are saying in the comments. I'm not giving Donegal credit. It's paining me to give Donegal credit. Donegal were brilliant. Well deserved their victory. And Roscommon fans, I know, I hear you. Three second half goals. You were brilliant. What a win, Davy Burke. What a man. Have you heard the the down backroom news over the weekend as well? No. This uh, this snuck under the radar a little bit. It was uh, so down had a great win in Thurles uh, to kick off their league at the weekend. Jim McGuinness apparently is in the down backroom team. What? Yes. Officially? Stevie Poacher has, uh, has said this yesterday, um, that Jim McGuinness is, as of last week, part of Conor Laverty's down back room. They're going well. They're, you know, they had a, a decent McKenna Cup, a uh, good win against Monaghan, and then they come into the, the league with a, with a very, very, very good win down in Thurles, considering the struggles they had in the league last year. But apparently, uh, I'm just looking at the tweet in front of me here from Stevie Poacher yesterday. Massive win for Downaway and Thurles. First real competitive win in over a year. Will be a huge relief to the group. Plus, the addition of Jim McGuinness this week 
has given the whole county a lift. Exciting times. He's a Gaelic Life columnist, of course. Uh, we know Stevie Poacher from this show. Good source, uh, but apparently he's back in. We buried the lead. Yeah. We buried the lead. That'll uh, just, just came to me again there yesterday. We will, just there now, so. we will come back to that with Anthony Moyles a little bit later on, but at 14 minutes past eight, that is this week's episode of the Gillette Labs Performance Rankings. OTBAN's Performance Rankings with Gillette.